0: You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack... And Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon
1: Girl Detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. In my line of work, a man is different things to different people. To the pencil pushers down at City Hall, I'm a licensed private investigator with a little tin shield to prove it. To the folks who stumble through my door, I'm a gumshoe, a shamus, a private dick. Whatever they like, it's their nickel. I'm here to solve their problems, get them out of a jam, or confirm their worst fears. Some want the brains, some want the brawn. Me? I want the green. So I make both available. If the job gets done and your nose is close to its original shape, you call it a good day's work. You try and give the client what they want. But sometimes it ain't easy to tell what that is. Some want the savior, some want the sap. Some can't seem to make up their minds. This here's the story of one of those times. It was 8.15 in the morning when the door opened. If Trixie was surprised to see me at my desk, she didn't give me the satisfaction of showing it. She closed the office door, the glass pane that bore the words Jack Justice Investigations rattling softly behind her.
2: Good morning, sunshine. Getting an early start?
1: Something like that.
2: Can't imagine why, since we don't have a case.
1: Just catching up on some paperwork.
2: Paperwork. Right. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. There are lots of ways to tell if a man is lying, but the simplest is to check if his lips are moving. Blackjack isn't exactly a morning person, never has been. So on those rare occasions when he was behind his desk when I walked through the door, I knew he'd been there all night. I knew it from long habit, and if I didn't, I'd have known it from the aroma of stale whiskey and black coffee that a clean shirt and a splash of water in the face did nothing to dispel. Jack wasn't big on inactivity. When things got quiet, he'd crawl inside his old files and dust off one that got away. There weren't many of them... But they gnawed away at him and he kept the wounds open. I almost admired him for it, but I'd never let him know that. Let me guess. The Worthington Pearls. Nah.
1: The Moretti poisoning. The
2: Moretti poisoning. Jack. I don't want to hear it. Stanley Moretti was guilty, Jack. Says you. Says me. Says the cops. Says the prosecutor. Says the judge and the jury. Swell.
1: And I say there's something that never sat right about it.
2: You're wasting your time. It's
1: my time to waste, ain't it? Sure,
2: sure. I'm sure Stanley Moretti would be awful glad you're still on the case. If they hadn't hung him four years ago, that is.
1: He was a client.
2: Better a dead client than no client, that it?
1: Somebody up there must like me a lot better than it seems. Because at that moment, Trixie's banter was cut mercifully short by a frail at the door. She wasn't that much to look at. About five foot four, long brown hair tucked away under a small cap. Her coat was older and too thin for the damp November wind... There was nothing much to notice about her at all, except for the eyes. They were big and brown, soft and doe-like, and they peeped out from underneath the brim of her cap, pleading with a breathless urgency. The kind of eyes that whispered, "'Please help me,' without her saying a word. The kind of eyes that made a sap out of me more than once. She stood there a moment, her back to the door. I looked at Trixie. She looked at me.
2: Her hat and coat were out of season and out of style, but they'd been awfully fashionable not long ago. She might have fallen on hard times, but my money said no. There was too much pride in the way she held her head, the way she met Jack's leering gaze. And the gloves were too new. If this wasn't a society girl trying to blend in, she was doing a heck of a routine. Whoever our guest was, she wasn't anxious to advertise. I'm, I'm
3: sorry to intrude. I'm looking for Mr. Jack Justice.
1: You found him. This is my associate, Miss Dixon.
3: Trixie, please. Very glad to meet you.
1: Why don't you sit down, Miss?
3: Yes, thank you.
1: I'm afraid the coffee is neither very good nor very fresh, but it would certainly help to warm you up. Would you care for a cup, miss?
3: No, thank you. No coffee.
1: Well, it doesn't take much of a detective to figure out you'd rather leave names out of this, at least until we've heard your story. Is that so?
3: Thank you. Yes.
1: Why don't you begin at the beginning?
3: I hope I can rely on your discretion in this matter, should you decide to take my
2: case on.
1: Discretion is my middle name.
2: Mine's Cynthia, but you can count on me, too. If it helps you, why don't you lay things out in the hypothetical, and we can let you know if we can help.
1: Hypothetically, of course.
2: Of course. Thank you. That might be best. The story's not a very original
3: one, I'm afraid. A young girl, very much in love with a certain young man, sends him letters telling him so in no uncertain terms, and receives the same sort of letters back from her love. Time passes, not very much of it looking back... But an eternity of warm summer nights to two people who have every expectation of more. And every day they cannot be together, there are letters. Then the war came, and the young man, like so many young men, goes off to fight. More letters flow between them. The letters speak of memories they shared and dreams they never would. My handkerchief? Thank you. The young man was killed? Yes. Yes, he died in Italy, and part of me died with him. Forgive me, I can no longer maintain the pretense. In time, I learned to live again, and even to love, after a fashion. Not with the same flaming passion of youth. That was for him alone. But a good man, a trustworthy, dependable man. My husband.
1: I understand.
3: The youthful letters that lost love sent to me have been my comfort. My husband is a decent man and allows me my privacy. I never had to worry about him discovering them. Until... I beg your pardon?
1: Forgive me, ma'am. You wouldn't be here if there wasn't an until or an unless coming up fast.
3: Of course. In all the years that I was comforted by those letters, it honestly never occurred to me to wonder...
2: What became of the letters you sent him? How did you know? Forgive me, ma'am, but as you say, the story's not that original. We've dealt with this kind of situation before. We're willing to play it however you'd like, and no one needs to hear a word about it. But I think it's time we laid our cards on the table. How do you mean? Your name would be a real good start. Must I? I I'll double your usual retainer.
1: Sorry, precious. If trouble calls, we can take a lot of heat for you. But we can't protect you if we're in the dark. Besides, it's bad for business.
3: I see. My name is Donna Ryan.
2: Jack's eyes narrowed and his jaw set hard behind his smirk. Donna Ryan, wife of industrialist Clarence Ryan. The Ryans drew a lot of water in this town. This might be more trouble than it was worth. Jack glanced at me. I shrugged a little. We did need the case, but did we need the headaches? I was doing mental arithmetic, adding up the pros and cons on in an invisible ledger. Jack's eyes drifted back to Mrs. Ryan. I wondered what he was adding up.
1: The Ryan dame looked down at her shoes. Her whole body was shaking, trembling in a way that had nothing to do with the draft through the office window. She'd touched up her face before she came in. But this close, I could see that a lot of tears had wandered past those eyes in the last few hours. She was terrified. Terrified of everything everything she had and everything she'd lost. We knew who she was, and she was almost sure we'd use it to our advantage. That turret. I've different things to different people, but I'm a blackmailer to nobody. All right, Mrs. Ryan, take a breath and relax a little. I won't promise that everything's going to be fine, but we'll do our best to make it so. Your letters have come home to roost, have they?
3: In a manner of speaking. It was just last night when a messenger arrived at my home. He delivered an envelope which contained a single letter in my own girlish hand,
2: written shortly before the war. It also contained this. Trixie. Single page handwritten, on the letterhead of the messenger company, probably written at their office. The text is short and to the point. Reply tomorrow, 8 p.m. Metrolite Hotel, room 314. That's it? That's all. That's odd. Why odd? You said you'd handled this sort of thing before. Yes, Mrs. Ryan, but usually the... I'm sorry, but the blackmailer will include a little more information about their terms. An amount would be a common thing to include, or at least a more direct suggestion of consequences. I can well
3: imagine the consequences.
1: These kind of people don't usually have that much imagination. Could mean anything. Could mean our mutual friend is new at this. That might work to our advantage.
2: I see. It's your party, Mrs. Ryan. How do you want us to handle this? I'd like you to take care of it.
1: Forgive me, ma'am. It's not that we're dense... It's just that that could mean anything, including a whole range of services we don't supply.
2: I know this is difficult for you, but we've got to get specific if we're going to cut to the happy ending. I was young. In love. Some of these letters are very indiscreet. I
3: must have them back.
1: There's no guarantees in this kind of case. But the house odds say grit your teeth and pay up. If our mutual friend gets wise after that, well, there are ways of keeping him to the bargain. Him knowing that you've got someone in your corner usually helps.
2: Do you want us to negotiate the purchase of the letters, Donna? This envelope contains $10,000.
3: It's all I can raise on such short notice. I could probably get another 20 together in a few days, but any more than that and my husband would be sure to notice.
1: Trixie, can we write up a contract for Mrs. Ryan?
3: No, no contract. Nothing in writing. At least let us give you a receipt for... No, no, nothing, please. I don't want to make things worse. Then
1: don't hand a total stranger $10,000 and hope for the best. I'd have to be either crooked or a fool to take it. Trixie, write out a receipt for Mrs. Ryan. Put a note on it that it's for a retainer.
2: Retainer? A
1: little high, I'll give you that. But it reads better than hush money.
2: Mrs. Ryan signed the receipt. She didn't like it much, but she did it all right. I felt for her, poor thing. She stumbled her way into what most girls would call a happy ending. Most girls whose hearts weren't buried under a small white cross somewhere in Italy, that is. She'd lost everything once, and it was up to us to see it didn't happen again. I've never trusted blackmailers. If that sounds obvious, you've probably spent very little time in the company of scum and your mother must be very proud of you. There's a certain logic at work in the criminal mind, a certain gray-collar work ethic that says, don't mess with me and I won't mess with you. Blackmailers? Anyone who's that much of a natural-born coward will do anything at any moment just because he's afraid. And old Squarejaw wasn't known for his subtlety. So before we kept our date at the Metrolight, I took a few extra precautions.
1: Here we are, Trix. Room 314. You ready for this?
2: I've got the Beretta in my handbag and a snub nose .38 strapped to the inside of my thigh, if that's what you're asking.
1: I wasn't, but thanks for the mental pin-up. I don't like this. I think you're right. Heads we kick it in, tails we work the lock. Work
2: the lock, tough guy. You're no fun. I'm not here to be fun.
1: Not with that thirty eight on the road to Berlin. Got the lock. You ready?
2: Ready. No, oh, brother.
1: You said it. On the floor, behind the bed was a man, about 45. 5'10" five eleven if he was standing, which he wasn't likely to do again. His suit was blue, pinstriped, well cut, and soaked in his own blood. The blood was thickening, maybe an hour old, maybe more, and it come from a wound in his chest. Not three feet away lay a twenty two pistol, but whether it belonged to our boy or the shooter, I couldn't say.
2: A nice simple case. When are we gonna catch a nice simple case?
1: Not today, angel. This ain't our blackmailer on the floor. It's Clarence Ryan.
0: You are listening to Black Jack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com.
2: Jack dialed the front desk and asked for the police. The boy at the desk had been too busy with a dime novel to pay much attention when we'd walked past him, so Jack figured I could slip down the fire escape to give our client the heads up without both our licenses getting pulled. I drove out to the Ryan spread with John Law maybe 15 minutes behind me. Her reaction was far from typical. And that's the way it is, ma'am. We can try and keep your name out of it for a while, but they'll book Jack as a suspect eventually, just to sweat him. You said I could count on anonymity. Yes, ma'am, but this is a murder investigation now. Unless the cops find your husband's killer on their own, they're going to need every lead they can get their hands on.
3: That is not your concern. My husband did not retain you. I did. I wanted the matter closed as soon as possible. Obviously, Clarence became aware of the blackmail scheme and foolishly tried to intercede to protect me. He was a good man, Miss Dixon. He gave his life to protect me from public shame. It seems wrong now to come forward.
2: Forgive me for saying so, Mrs. Ryan, but that seems like a pretty convenient way to see things. Don't be impertinent. Mr. Justice and yourself
3: were given a very generous retainer to see this matter through. I now consider it closed. Good day.
2: I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I headed back to the office and waited for Jack. He sailed in close to seven the next morning. I relatively light grilling by his standards. We'd caught a break. The doorman remembered Jack coming in at least an hour after Clarence Ryan got stiffed, according to the ME's report. He didn't even look like the boys in blue had worked him over that much. And he always kind of looked like that. I reckoned he'd got off easy.
1: I don't think they're done with me yet, Tricks. There's a prowl car out front with a couple of thick-necked bulls in the front. They're watching us for the moment. We should try and pin this one down before we get in too deep.
2: The client says let it lie.
1: Then the client is in shock, or... Or what? No, it doesn't make any sense. Why would
2: she spill her guts to two private dicks, and off her husband in a sleazy hotel? That where this was headed?
1: Something like that. If I know Lieutenant Sabian, he's given me enough rope to lead him to whoever was in that room when Clarence Ryan knocked on the door. So what do we do? That. We do exactly that. Get your hat. We didn't have much. A receipt for the first and last $10,000 retainer we were ever likely to see. A musty old letter from a girl who'd become a woman who'd become a widow, and a hastily written note on the letterhead of a messenger company.
0: Look, buddy, we're just a delivery service, but our clients expect some kind of privacy too, you know? Sure,
1: sure. I told the bulls out front that one last night. Gave me nothing but a slow dance with a phone book. I don't understand. No? Your ribs should send you flowers.
2: Look, Mr...
1: Brian.
2: Brian. We don't want to know what was in the package. We're just asking if you remember the man who sent it. It was a late delivery, sent in the evening two nights ago, and the man who sent it borrowed a sheet of letterhead to write a note to go with it.
1: She was good, all right. I'd never tell her that, but she was slick. Brian sure thought so. Of course, he didn't know about the 38.
0: Sure... Sure, no package, just the note and another letter, right? Right. Sure, he paid cash. Didn't leave no name. Left an address. Metrolite Hotel? Yeah. He checked
1: out.
2: Can you remember what he looked like?
0: Uh, sure, I guess. Kinda medium build, brown hair, glasses. Talked funny.
2: Like an accent?
0: Yeah, but not really, you know? English, but not too English. And he had a shrapnel scar in his left hand.
2: You see a lot of shrapnel scars in the messenger business?
1: No. Infantry. That narrows it down to half the guys in town, including you and me. Thanks for your help.
0: Sure. Oh, hey, listen. It was a late delivery, but it wasn't a late drop-off, if that helps you. What do you mean? He came in around noon. Asked for delivery after six. Paid extra.
1: Pal, I'm begging you. The name on the envelope...
0: You infantry? Yeah. Italy? You name it Ah oh, heck. The
1: name was Ryan. Just Ryan? No mister or Mrs.? Nah,
0: just Ryan.
1: Thanks, pal. Come on, Trix. I could use a shot of breakfast.
2: We settled in at a dive around the corner called Dugan's. I wasn't sure how Jack's war stories trumped my eyelash batting. He said you had to be there, be glad you weren't. But halfway through his bourbon, he started making sense.
1: If you were going to blackmail a lady, what's the one thing you'd make sure to do?
2: I'm too sleepy for the Socratic method. Spill.
1: Our blackmailer asked for delivery after six, when he could expect the man of the house to be home. And the envelope was addressed to Ryan, which means if the mister had been there, he'd have opened it. Right?
2: Stands to reason.
1: Let's have another drink and read each other love letters.
2: Jack leaned on the bell at the Ryan plays hard. There was none of his usual smug self-satisfaction in his eyes so I knew he wasn't looking forward to testing his theory. If he was right, his news would be even less welcome than the message I'd brought the night before. Jack pushed his way past the houseboy. I followed him quickly. Across the street, our shadows in the idling patrol car watched with all the subtlety of a brick through a window. You! I told you last night... You
1: talk to us now or you'll do a great deal more talking later, and it'll be to a judge. It's up to you, but my way is easier.
3: Please, please, my husband is dead. Stop
1: it! If you gave a damn about your husband's death, you wouldn't be protecting his murderer.
3: How dare you? I
1: said stop it. There isn't time for the debutante dramatic society. Look out that window. See that patrol car? Yes. They'd rather not come in here themselves. Out of respect for you and your family, the Ryan name carries some weight in this town. It won't if pictures of a police raid are in every paper in town. So they're letting me do this my
3: way. I don't know what you're talking about. Why would they raid my house? They'd be
1: carrying out a search warrant, looking for some old love letters... And they'd find them, too.
3: Why are you doing this?
1: Love letters sent to you years ago from a man that died in the war. Love letters written in a hand that matches this note sent two nights ago from a messenger company downtown. A hand that matches the signature in the register of the Metrolight Hotel, room 314. He's changed his name probably more than once. The letter you left with us says he used to be my darling Mike.
3: Stop it! How dare you! How dare you? He
1: showed up at the door about an hour before Miss Dixon arrived with news of your husband's death. That's about right, isn't it?
3: Stop it!
1: Darling, I've returned at last. I've killed your husband so we can be together. That was the line, wasn't it? Wasn't it?
3: You can't prove any
2: of this!
1: Maybe I can, maybe I can't. But there's a few questions you need to ask yourself before you make me try.
2: Questions? You're not going to like this, Donna. You've got to listen.
1: This lost love of yours. Where's he been all this time? The war's long over. I hear he's picked up an English lilt. English, mind you, not German or Italian or even Japanese. I don't know how he came to be officially dead. That kind of thing can happen in war. You can believe whatever he's told you if you like. But where's he been all this time? Before you become accessory after the fact in the murder of your husband, you need to ask yourself why this once-in-a-lifetime love of yours started a new life somewhere else.
2: Stop it! Get out! If
1: I get out, the law comes in, and both of you can hang.
2: Jack... Mrs. Ryan, the blackmail note... There was no blackmail! There was, Mrs. Ryan, but not the kind you think. You received a package containing one of your old love letters. You assumed the sender meant to blackmail you. But he paid extra for evening delivery. The note wasn't meant for you. It was for your husband. What?
1: Wherever you are, however many obstacles, dangers, however many years may stand between us, I will always belong to you and only you. My one true love, I will always be yours and yours alone. You wrote those words, Mrs. Ryan.
2: You assumed the package was for you, and you assumed it was the first of its kind. Later Mike convinced you he meant it as a token, to let you know he'd come back to you. But if you read the letter he chose to send, you see that it could easily be sent as final proof of your devotion to your darling Mike.
1: It's the only explanation. The blackmail was already underway when this letter was sent. That's how your husband knew about our mutual friend at the Metrolite Hotel. Darling Mike wasn't charging your husband for your letters. He wanted money to stay away. That letter was meant to prove to your husband that he'd lose you if Darling Mike returned. Maybe your husband would have paid to keep him away. Maybe he'd have paid to spare you the pain of knowing what a louse your one true love was. We'll never know. We may never know for sure just what went wrong. Why Darling Mike put a slug through your husband's heart. But he wasn't through. He knew about the letter that had gone astray. Guessed you must have it and showed up at your door with tears in his eyes and a paper thin story on his lips. Isn't that right, Mrs. Ryan?
3: Oh, my God!
1: One way or another, Mrs. Ryan, the right thing is gonna happen. <laughs> Stay ahead of the curve. It's only been a few hours. Come with me down to the station. Tell them who killed your husband. Tell them where he is.
2: Why are you doing this?
1: Keeping you out of jail because you're our client.
2: She did it all right came downtown with us and spilled the whole story. The cops had Darling Mike in custody in an hour. Jack's bluff about the cops and the search warrant caused no problems, since she wasn't charged with a crime. The papers were full of it for a while, but Donna Ryan was in Europe by then, and as far as I know, she's never come back. She never called for the retainer, either. Her lawyers finally sent word that she considered the matter closed. And Jack... He went back to the office and packed up the file on the Moretti poisoning, the Worthington pearls, and all his other cold cases and put them into storage. Maybe they'd stay there. Maybe they wouldn't.
1: Donna Ryan had spent her life imagining the love she'd lost was a perfect one. But he was just another heel. She'd had her letters, her memories, and a husband who didn't mind sharing her with a ghost. Now she had nothing. She was still young, and she had more dough than I'd ever see but I wouldn't trade places with her for anything. Sometimes illusions are important. Sometimes the past should stay in the past. Blackjack
0: Justice, Episode 1, Justice Served Cold, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices provided by Shannon Arnold and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure.